0: another episode of a priest, a minister, and a rabbi walk into a radio station, and we are back in a radio station, at least for this month. As we prepare for the fall, hopefully cooling down soon, uh, I am joined uh, by, as always, Dr. Pandora Carlucci. Pandora, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing very well, Jay. Thank you. How are you?
0: I am doing great. Thank you for asking. It's good to be back in person.
1: It is. It's also, uh, we skipped the month of July. Yeah. So it's good to gather in person and get caught up and revisit our show.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I actually, uh, June, I think, was the month I missed. Uh, and Pete Faciano sat in for me which we thank him. Uh, but it's it's great to be back and great to see everybody.
1: It is. It was nice to have Pete sit in with us. For those who don't know who Pete Fasciano is, he is the executive director of Franklin TV and radio, and he is kind of the guiding force for all that happens uh, under that wonderful umbrella of communication. So it was nice to have him join the show for an episode.
0: And if you listen to to the radio station or watch the tv station all the uh all the promo stuff is pete and pete's lovely voice so <laughs> i hear it in my dreams sometimes <laughs> so as always we're joined by our uh faith leaders reverend jacob yonker did i pronounce that right uh yonker yeah I was close. close really close thank you thank you uh That's why I asked Pandora to lead off, because I had no no confidence in what I was going to say. Reverend Kathy McAdams and Rabbi Tom Albert. Tom, uh, I have to ask you, you just came back from a trip. I did. How was it? I
2: was in Israel for two weeks, and it was amazing. Um, I try to go most summers. Uh, The last two, obviously, I haven't been able to. There's a program uh, for... Jewish clergy call, run by a group called the Shalom Hartman uh, Institute, which is an amazing teaching group in Israel. And so there were a couple of hundred of us um, in person, uh, thank goodness, uh, in Jerusalem, uh, studying some with, with some amazing teachers. Uh, there was a day of field trips, which was truly remarkable. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I could talk about this for a long, long time, but it was uh, it was a true, uh, as we say in, in uh, Hebrew, mechaia, that is to say, something that gives life. It was, it was a life-affirming trip.
0: That's great. And yeah. you normally, I, I know, talking to you, you normally go uh, for a month— well, or close to that, but you came back a little. No, no, because you, you have some stuff going on in I, your. I in do in have some life. stuff
2: going on. I, I, <laughs> so I normally go for two weeks. Maybe we're planning a congregational Israel trip next year, which would lead into this. So I'd be gone for a month then. Uh, but yes, this time I came back because um, uh, it is my daughter's wedding that's coming up awesome. in uh, less than two weeks from the time we're on the show, and I am terrified about that fact. We move
0: on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's great. That's very exciting. Reverend Kathy, what is going on with you? How has your summer been?
3: Yeah, um, I've had a good summer. I just last night got back from a trip to Virginia to celebrate my aunt's 80th birthday. It was good family Ooh. time, and I'm also glad to be getting back in my routine here. Do you want me to talk about what's going on at St. John's? Sure. Yeah? Sure. Yeah. Uh, Well, St. John's Episcopal Church is partnering with Grace Episcopal Church in North Attleboro, which uh, means that I will be working full-time in parish ministry, which I'm very excited about. So uh, they will be sharing me and probably doing some programming together and things like that. So beginning uh, September 1st, we will have... Eucharist on Saturday nights at 5 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., and that will alternate between the two churches. So we will publish calendar. <laughs> the other thing exciting at St. John's is that we are working on an affordable housing project. So we're uh, we're going to be building 64 units of affordable housing behind the church in a kind of a village format, and um, started talking with neighbors in the town about that. And um, we're really Really excited! It'll be completely affordable, uh, multi-age, so families and seniors.
1: That is fabulous! Yeah. Absolutely fabulous! Yeah. And it, it, and I think for a congregation to model that for for the rest of the community as to how it can be done.
2: Yeah,
1: uh, I'm familiar with the land from uh, when my sons were in scouting. Yeah. we camped out there. That's right. It's a it's a That's huge right. parcel of land. Twenty acres. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That is. Just so, we'll only so exciting
3: for for the housing and um, still keeping the rest of it in natural habitat, which is uh, one of our goals. Wonderful. Yeah. Wonderful.
0: That's great. That's great. All right, Reverend Jacob, how about you? You we went through.
4: I am uh, I'm coming back from vacation too. Yes. And so um, I kind of have vacation brain, uh, <laughs> trying to get back into the. The swing of things, but it is good to be back uh, with my colleagues and back in the community again. Uh, things at the at the church are very much still on summer schedule, and we're trying to make plans for the fall. And as of the this recording, all of those plans are kind of still in development. So it would be premature for me to <laughs> say uh, what exactly is is coming up. But by the next time we meet, we'll be full swing, and I can share those things with you.
0: What, what uh, at your uh, parish and, and everybody's uh, church, what does the summer kind of change in what you're doing? I know you obviously have to deal with who's around, who's not around, and this year everybody's gone, it seems like. So how does it impact uh, things you're doing? For us, our,
4: our schedule for worship does not change at all. And our program, programmatic schedule tends to lighten up just a little bit. Mm. Uh, other than that, it's very much what you're talking about. You know, people take their vacations, and those times of rest and renewal are important. And uh, so it is very much person light, and just quite honestly, resource light as yeah. well yeah. at the church during the the summertime. Um, but everybody comes back when school starts and schedules, while still remaining busy, tend to kind of even keel out a little bit and participation goes back up a little. And in terms for us, one of the saving graces has been continuing to do a hybrid and streaming format for worship. And so while people are on vacations and away on Sunday morning to be in the sanctuary, uh, a good number of people will either uh, come in person through, conference, through Google Meet um, from their vacation spot and or hit the highlights of worship on YouTube. <laughs> uh, which, which both are, you know, I'm grateful that people continue to connect
2: that way. And uh, from the temple's point of view, um, we too uh, continue to do services during the summer. The program's pretty much... Very you know small uh, outdoorsy kinds of things, but mainly uh, services. There are a few weeks that I'm not leading, and we have congregants leading. But other than that, they're standard, and we require a minion, a group of ten adult Jews uh, for services. So some of them are in person, and some of them are online on a in the summertime coming up. I should mention. Well, I should mention two things going on in the temple. One is that the legislature passed and the governor signed the free meals for all, which our uh, uh, congregation had been uh, urging. And this is uh, going to provide school free meals for uh, everyone in public schools in Massachusetts for the next year, and we're hoping it will turn permanent after that. Uh, we're one of five states that are doing it this year, and we think it's very important and uh, a wonderful. Uh, choice that was made. The other thing going on is, of course, we're coming up to our high holy days, so we're getting ready for that. Our friends at the uh, uh, First Universalist Society are hosting us, and uh, starts on September twenty-fifth. And we're all—I won't say we're ready to go, but we're getting ready to go. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's wonderful. Pretty much what my colleagues have said. Uh, you know, we continue with worship, uh, both in person and online. Just with uh, lighter attendance, because, yes, everyone has taken advantage of being able to travel this year. And uh, I follow on Facebook and see what everyone's doing. They seem (laughs) to be having some great vacations. But we do have a couple of things happening in the summer. Uh, This uh, this Saturday, I should mention, August 6th is our multifamily yard sale. So I don't know if the show will be uh, aired by then, but uh, come and and buy all kinds of fun stuff. It's from 9 to 2 on Saturday. And then um, the following Wednesday, August 10th, we have an outdoor Eucharist and potluck picnic at 6 p.m. It's a Wednesday.
0: So things like that. That's awesome.
1: It sounds great, and I think it's nice that, that everyone is offering, when they are able... A hybrid option, mm-hmm. so that when people are traveling, they can still circle back and be part of their worship at their uh, house of worship and it it I think in this time of of change and uh, so many things happening in the world, there's that constant that you can go back to your your church or to your temple, and there you are and and that just is so reaffirming. And even, I,
3: even in a heat wave, we noticed yeah. there mm-hmm. were a lot more people online uh, Sunday before last.
1: I think that's great. I think it's also nice that the Unitarian Universalist is hosting the temple for the High Holy Days. Mm-hmm. Again, that speaks to, I think, the culture of the town of Franklin and the culture among the houses of worship. I think it's great. And um, early in our conversation, uh, Rabbi Tom shared why he was two weeks in um, Israel because of the uh, upcoming uh, wedding of his daughter. And uh, that event has influenced our choice of subject for today. And we're going to be talking about weddings and marriages in our faith traditions. And it's It's nice to have something that we can celebrate and use a a variety of lenses and look at. And everyone has some experience with it, whether you're married or not. You know someone who is or who was or you are. It's just there's just so many different ways. And then when we look at our faith traditions, it enriches the whole discussion and the whole experience and the lens that we use to look at these relationships. So we have, as always, a few questions. Should I do the first? And uh, these kind of guide us during this discussion. And I, I have to give uh, acknowledgement to our faith leaders who uh, develop them for us, so that we all have a. a, a touchstone during our conversation. And I thought the very first question that we had here was how does your faith tradition define marriage? And as kind of a subpart, what does it have to say about the importance of marriage? And I thought I would I would reach out to Rabbi Tom to start because he is the one most intimately involved in his family with an upcoming marriage. And so as you look at your faith tradition, can you share with us how it defines marriage um, you know uh, between the couple and among the extended family members?
2: Sure, so you know the whole concept of, of uh, togetherness in this way goes back to the really the beginning of the of the Bible at the be- in uh, the second chapter of Genesis. Uh, God says that of Adam, it's not good for the man to be alone. Uh, I shall make him, as what's called in Hebrew, an ezer Kenegdo. It's translated as helpmate, but the, the Hebrew is actually uh, hard to translate because ezer means uh, an, someone who helps you, and Kenegdol literally means someone who's opposite from you. And so in some ways, th- this means that a person is supposed to have someone who is with them, and yet provides a um, you know a counterpart to them. and And that that, in many ways, is what a marriage is. It's important to have um, connection and yet differentiation. And uh, if you go back in in the beginning of tradition, it was a it was a fairly uh, sexist and economically derived uh, concept. that the Hebrew, in fact, for to marry someone is to take a wife and that's you know you would take this person as property on the other hand you know not too far into the into the bible into the torah you hear that Isaac loved Rebekah so there's a there's always also been that other aspect of it and that has come hopefully to predominate in Judaism marriage is called in Hebrew kidushin and that's related to the word kadosh which means holy it is regarded as a holy connection between two people that is uh, designed to strengthen, to, to make them feel holy together and to strengthen the community through their holiness. And I'll talk some more about some other ways of doing that as we go on. Uh, but it is regarded as not just an individual event, but also communal.
1: I I like the idea and that we're looking at it through a religious lens as well as a communal lens, because I think that um, for many of us that decide to have a religious uh, component in the marriage, Mm -hmm. you're blending those two points of view. Um, Pastor Jacob, as you work with your congregation and people come up and approach you and say they're considering this, How do you explain the traditions or what questions are asked of you about the traditions in your faith that are part of marriage?
4: Uh, So one of the first things I ever tell anyone that comes to me and says, hey, I want to get married has nothing to do with anything my denomination says, but a piece of marriage advice that was given to my wife and I when we first got married, uh, which is in the tradition of which I'm a clergy person. But the... The clergy couple who married us said that marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever do, but it's also the most rewarding. Uh, And so I always offer that as the first piece of advice (laughs) uh, to say it will be something that challenges you unlike anything else you've ever committed your life to, but it will also reap the most fulfillment and rewards um, that anything else you commit your life to. So after we get through that, then we can kind of talk about some of the, the, other, um, the other stuff. One of the challenges with talking about marriage in my tradition at present is the controversy surrounding marriage within the United Methodist Church at the moment. And so um, marriage as it currently s- is defined by the denomination is... Um, is a covenant. So first, it's not a sacrament of the church, um, meaning it's not something that is like a religious requirement or holds um, kind of the, the Jesus did it and therefore you need to do it kind of weight like communion or baptism would in our tradition. Um, but it is similar to what Rabbi Tom uh, just discussed is a is a mutual consensual agreement made before God, and so, therefore the, covenant, the, the commitment is holy, but the act itself is not prescribed kind of or outlined by God to do. Um, but the controversy currently in my denomination is who can enter into marriage. And so that is often a conversation I do have to have with couples. So traditionally, um, or currently, would be a better way to put it, currently, um, marriage in the United Methodist Church is between uh, a monogamous consensual relationship between a man and a woman. In New England and the New England Annual Conference from which our, my congregation uh, is a part and uh, I'm a member of as a clergy person, uh, we have made it a point to say that marriage should be a monogamous and consensual uh, covenant between two consenting adults uh and so i think that's what ends up being the most uh important it is something that is meant to draw people not only closer to those who are in the covenant together but also draw them closer to god and to the community of faith and so i happen to like the new definition that is proposed in 2020 what uh or is hopefully coming soon. COVID messed with the adoption (laughs) of this, but um, the the new definition that's going to be brought before the global church is um, within the church, we affirm marriage as a sacred lifelong covenant that brings two people of faith into union with one another and into deeper relationship with God and the religious community. And there's a whole mu- whole bunch of other stuff that falls out from that, but that's kind of the succinct definition. And um, for anyone listening to this, that that is the definition that I would uphold as a clergy person. Uh, and so as long as two people are coming together uh, and want to make that lifelong covenant, um, to grow deeper in love with one another and with God, and to be a part of the religious community, then I will, I will gladly uh, offer my services as, as a clergy person to perform their marriage. That's great, uh, Reverend Catholic.
3: Well, my answer would be very similar to both of my colleagues. Um, that marriage is a covenant. Um, it's intended to be lifelong. It is a covenant between two people. Um, Witnessed by God and the community. and there is a, a part in the service where the community agrees to uphold the covenant, the, the couple in their marriage and to support them. The Episcopal Church has struggled with the same things that the Methodist Church is is doing now and will continue to. Um, we actually do have uh, approved rights for use with same-sex couples. And those are on trial use, and um, each diocesan bishop can decide whether those can be used within his or her diocese. Um, our, our bishop here in Massachusetts, both of, both of the bishops have approved those those rights, and therefore we are able to solemnize uh, marriages between same-sex couples, and have been able to for. A number of years. Um, and certainly at St. John's, we would we would do that. If someone approaches me about marriage, it's funny that you said, when they're considering this, usually that's not where I enter into the <laughs> conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's usually we're getting married and here's the date. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and hope you're free that day. But uh, we have several uh, several sessions of premarital counseling, where we talk about very practical issues like finances and children and spirituality and, um, you know, how you spend your leisure time and how you communicate together, those kinds of things. Um, But those all become, I think, spiritual issues, uh, you know, about respect and about... um, as I said, communication, and how are we going to raise those children that we don't have yet, those kinds of things. I've actually done a lot more premarital counseling than I have weddings because people often want to get married somewhere else. So I have a couple actually this Friday getting married up in Maine.
4: I don't know if it's uh, if you have seen this. It's something that I've seen. So I've had the privilege of being full-time clergy for 14 years, and in that amount of time, the number of couples getting married in an actual church mm-hmm. building mm-hmm. has gone oh, way yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, right. Not necessarily the number of people that come and ask me to perform a wedding, but for sure the number of folks that come into the building. It's been an interesting shift yeah. mm-hmm.
3: over Being time. toward destination weddings, I've yeah. noticed.
2: Yeah.
3: I've, I've, I'm sorry. No, I've been ahead. ordained 22 years and I've done four weddings. Wow. Yeah. Oh. That's interesting. Yeah. Really? Partly because for eight of those years, I was doing homeless ministry. So I did a lot of memorial services and a few house blessings. But yeah. um, still, the weddings are way down.
2: I've d- I've done lots of weddings. They're just all over the place. Mm-hmm. I mean, I got to know Newport really well for a while. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, on the, the matter of same-sex marriage, so... These issues happened in Reform Judaism. It's sort of it, the struggles. I think sort of took place a little earlier and have more or less been resolved. Um, back in uh, 2000, the uh, Central Conference of American Rabbis, which is the Reform rabbinic organization, became, I believe, the first clergy group uh, to affirm same-sex marriage. And it said in its resolution that same-sex marriage was worthy of affirmation by appropriate ritual. Um, it then left that up to each rabbi, because generally that's what we do about things. And uh, but I would say that for some time now, I, it would be I, I have I, I do not believe there are any Reform rabbis who won't officiate at same-sex marriages. I would be very surprised. Uh, so those are um, you know those are, are uh, it, from our pres- perspective. Those are sort of set. That's sort of settled. Um, issues of marrying, doing marriages between Jews and non-Jews continues to be controversial um, and um, you know the, the, and again each rabbi does their own thing. Most of us do them under certain circumstances uh, mainly that the family will that the couple agrees that they'll raise the children Jewish exclusively but you know various people have different opinions on that as well uh, and so that's uh, th- that tends to be more where our where we run into complexities for a
0: couple, uh, but same-sex marriage is not one. It's interesting uh, mm-hmm. that the same-sex marriage is not is kind of a settled topic, mm-hmm. uh, yet the marriage between a Jewish person and a non-Jewish person is still after. Mm-hmm. All this time, maybe a, I don't. I don't know if "controversial" is the right word, or, or, but that it's more than the same-sex marriage mm-hmm. thing. Yep. I, how about uh, the two you? Is it an issue in your religions or or what you your religions like you own it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> in, in your although rabbi my does. personal religion. <laughs> yeah. No, is it? Has it been? Uh, a stumbling block at all?
3: Well, as I said, it's still a point of concert uh, conversation and controversy, um, especially tends to be uh, more in the global south that uh, the churches are more conservative. So right now there are about 650 Anglican bishops meeting in, in England, in Canterbury. Uh, it's called the Lambeth Conference, and it takes place about every 10 years Um, One striking difference is that the last time they met in 2008, we had one openly gay bishop, Gene Robinson from New Hampshire, Mm -hmm. and he was not invited to that conference. This time, there are six openly gay partnered bishops and one bishop-elect. He just hasn't been consecrated yet. and they are all attending that conference. They were all invited. However, their spouses were not. So um, their spouses can be there for, I believe it's for meals, but not worship, and they can't take place in all the other spouse activities, those kinds of things. So we're making progress, but we're not there yet. And um, as I said, we do have some trial use liturgies in in this part of in this part of the Episcopal Church and the Anglican Communion. We do have same-sex marriages, and they're pretty common. In fact, even performed by some of the bishops. Uh, but that's not true everywhere.
4: Interreligious and interfaith marriages for us isn't not even a, hardly ever even gets asked. I don't even ask that to be quite honest. Um, same-sex marriage, as I mentioned before, is a still a, a major issue within the United Methodist Church. Um, any layperson or clergy person. <laughs> can do what's called bring up charges against another clergy person or lay person for teaching or performing rituals outside of the denominationally approved materials. And so while I mentioned a little earlier that I would gladly um, perform a same-sex marriage, I, and I have not yet, so if anyone's listening wants to, I would, (laughs) (laughs) but to be very clear, I also understand the ramifications of that. And mm-hmm. so it would be very likely, given that I have friends across the United States who are United Methodist clergy, that I would most likely be what's called brought up on charges and a, a trial would happen which would threaten my credentials as a clergy person within the United Methodist Church. The good news is that, again, in New England, the clergy have covenanted to support one another in the midst of that collective decision that we would preside at same-sex weddings. But that does not quote-unquote protect us from charges coming from outside of this area or from even a lay person who wanted to to raise those issues. Uh, and so it is continues to be a major issue to have to wrestle with and and to deal with.
3: Jay, I think I misunderstood your question. Were you asking about interreligious marriage? Yes, but we
0: were also talking about same-sex marriage and and even the whole, you know, the whole marriage as an institution, because it has clearly changed in the thirty years I've been married, uh, and I see everybody shaking their head here. It, It is much different than it was back then. So. Your answer was great, I thought. It it uh, opened up some different ways of thinking, uh, but if you want to address the inner faith, that is, yeah. you're more than welcome to.
3: Yeah, that that tends to not be such an issue. We have a requirement that at least one person in the couple be baptized, mm. and that's, that's about it. Um, we really like them to go on and be members of our of our community and um, hope that they will make that commitment, but that doesn't always happen either. But yeah, we do. We do see it as from our Catholic roots. We see marriage as a vocation. That it's something God can call you to. We uh, we consider it a sacramental action, uh, as Jacob described. But it's not necessarily one of those sacraments that we say are necessary for salvation, like baptism and Eucharist. But um, but it is still. Um, a sign of God's presence in our midst and therefore sacramental.
0: I I did like uh, when, I think, Jacob, you said it, uh, about the importance of rest and renewal. I Mm. would like to uh, record just that to play for my wife when I decide to take a nap. It's not a a nap. It's a rest and renewal for me. Pandora, you were going to say something.
1: I I was going to say... Earlier in Reverend Kathy's responses to an earlier question, you touched on when the person comes, the couple comes to you and they're ready to be married, that uh, oftentimes there are conversations before Mm. the marriage. So there is a... um, I, I'm not sure. You know, a time of thought and prayer and reflection, mm-hmm. and and talking about you know how are the children to be raised, mm-hmm. you know how do you handle finances, yep. where are you going to live, right. uh, with uh, you know global and just even national couples, and I'm wondering if that's something that all the faiths have, and and how is that part and parcel of the marriage tradition, and so I, I uh, I didn't know if you had more to say about that or if any anyone else? It's
3: it's not just something we do as a tradition, but it's required. I can't marry someone without doing uh, premarital counseling. Because we take that so seriously, we want to make sure that the couple is entering into it faithfully and, and seriously.
2: Well, for us in uh, Reform Judaism, it, while it's not a formal requirement. It, it, I know of absolutely no rabbi who would officiate at a wedding without doing that. Um, so, yeah, I meet several times with the couple, and talk about all the same kinds of things that Reverend Kathy was talking about. And uh, you know, I, I, it, it's I, and if I feel you know, somehow that I'm uncomfortable with the results and I feel a couple isn't ready, then I won't officiate it. But thank goodness that's never happened. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, it's It's something that I uh, that I take pretty seriously, I take very seriously.
3: I did have one couple in the midst of that process decide that they didn't want to get married, that they mm-hmm. weren't ready. Yeah. I've never had to tell them that they couldn't. <laughs>
4: <laughs> I, I I It's not a requirement, but I typically will meet at least three times with a couple before before performing the wedding ceremony. I There are also other resources outside of just me doing it. So, for instance, I know, or at least I assume it's still going on within the Roman Catholic Church. There's what's called the engaged encounter. Mm. And my wife and I actually did that because mm. she's Roman Catholic before we got married. And it was an amazing thing. There's a similar... It's called the exact same thing, made by the same people, just with the United Methodist slant, called uh, Engaged Encounter United Methodist. So there, whether or not they meet with me, some sort of premarital, premarital um, discernment is is necessary. I did want to brought up the uh, my memory was jogged about the Engaged Encounter because we've been throwing around terms and um, engaged the Engaged Encounter kind of curriculum or conversations make mention of uh, separating terms, which I think is helpful, and to say that a wedding, the wedding is the ceremony mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the marriage is the commitment. That's mm-hmm. what comes after the mm-hmm. wedding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so um, I don't perform marriages, mm-hmm. I perform weddings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. The couple performs the marriage. Yes. <laughs> uh, and I think that's a helpful kind of delineation of terms and defining of terms.
1: I think that's great, because we, we do use words sometimes in a fluid way, and so really to define it specifically is, is always helpful. And when you are officiating at a wedding, what is your favorite moment? What you, you prepare, you're doing this for the couple, and they have some ideas, you have some, but as the, uh, as the presider, as the person who is officiating, what what do you think of what what do you like
4: uh, my absolute favorite part of our wedding service comes at the very end and uh it is the sending forth so it's customary in our worship services in every worship service to either have a blessing or a sending forth kind of like a charge that you send people out with and um as, you, as the couple is turned around, the pastor, the clergy offers a blessing for the husband, now husband and wife, and then ascending force and dismissal for the congregation. And it's my favorite of all the dismissals in our book of worship and actually was thinking in preparation for today, why in the world don't I use this on Sunday morning? But, <laughs> um, but at the end, the standard liturgy, it calls the congregation to, and I'm quoting, bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. That's one of my favorite parts of all the liturgies um, in our book of worship, but in particular this one. So bear witness to the love of God in this world, so that those to whom love is a stranger will find in you generous friends. Just as beautiful to me. Mm -hmm. It's beautiful words. It's my favorite part. That is really neat.
1: It is. Those to whom love is a stranger. That is. Wow. That they would.
3: And it really captures that idea yes. that the um, that the couple will minister together to the world. That yes. that's part of their vocation. Right. Yeah.
0: You know, I have a, a, just a question because over the last few years, my experiences in terms of going to weddings has changed dramatically. A lot of like what Rabbi Tom said, destination weddings, weddings outside of you know back when. I got married, everybody got married in a church, Mm. and then you went somewhere else. Have you um, found not necessarily a drop-off in people in your congregations getting married, but your involvement in that ceremony versus—I've seen a a number of people using uh, Mm. justices of— the whatever they are. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm wondering if that's impacted you folks at all. And if so, what your thought is.
2: I mean, it hasn't so m- I haven't noticed that individually, but I certainly have been aware of it communally. Um, you know, if you look in uh, the New York Times uh, Sunday wedding section, always a popular <laughs> thing to do. Um, <laughs> You'll see more and more marriages officiated by, you know, the family friend and the like. It's very easy to get those kinds of uh, officiation credentials these days. And I, you know, if it makes people happy, fine. My, I, I think there's a value in the kind of thing that we as clergy provide. I think the the counseling is valuable. I think that building a wedding ceremony that that relates to tradition and is not just a kind of one-off, but is indeed part, links you to uh, the past as well as the future is valuable. Uh, You know, so I I think that uh, as a general rule for couples that feel some connection to their religious tradition, there's real value to being, uh, having the wedding officiated by someone who has some professional skill and, and background in doing it. It's
0: my view, my view. How about either one of our other two faith leaders?
3: Well, as I said before, um, a lot of, there are a lot of destination weddings and, and therefore I've done a lot more marriage preparations than I have weddings. Um, the most recent wedding that I did was, uh, right before covid i guess so it would have been 2019 and it was for someone who was in my youth group in palo alto and she was doing a medical residency in uh albany new york and um so asked so we we did the marriage prep either by zoom or we met halfway in between in i can't remember where um cochituate or something and uh it was really delightful to be able to uh, to talk about her as a thirteen year old during her wedding. That was fun, <laughs> but also, <laughs> um, you know, to come to know her new husband and uh, reunite with her family. They were always a, a favorite family of mine. Um, so that's kind of off topic, but it was it was delightful.
4: I, I um, it hasn't impacted me a whole lot. I will say, and I don't want to like run us down a rabbit trail but I do want to just mention it because most, something most people don't realize is when it comes to weddings it's really the only, one of the only times that there's an overlap between a religious institution and the state. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and yeah. so um, mm-hmm. there has been and this this was raised in some circles that I'm in when debates of same-sex marriage mm-hmm. was going on Fed mm. at the federal level um, there has been kind of or is a thought that Maybe what should happen is that everyone should be married by a justice of the peace so that their marriage is legitimized at the state and federal level. But then if they want a religious ceremony mm-hmm. to come to us separate, um, I'm completely... Which, which, by the way, is indeed what is done in most countries in the right. world. Right. And I, I, you know, I'm very comfortable with the way it is, but I see a tremendous amount of value in that full separation so that then a religious a body or clergy person can say well regardless of whether or not the state or federal government will recognize this marriage we as a religious Mm -hmm. community will Mm -hmm. Uh, and so I can see some some value in that and I'm completely fine with destination weddings and f- anyone w- <laughs>
1: if
4: anyone wants to go- fly me to florida i'll fly mm. to florida <laughs> absolutely they, they, i will go as
0: well just it, to carry bags or something
3: they tend to travel without their clergy these yeah. days. i don't understand that um but thanks for bringing up the church and state issue and a lot of episcopal clergy before uh domo was overturned the defense of marriage act mm-hmm. A lot of Episcopal clergy were um, saying, you know, we'll do the blessing part of this. And and even for mixed sex couples, they were saying, you know, I I don't want to officiate as an agent of the state, but I will offer a blessing of this union. And so trying to separate out those two things.
4: And that provides us some flexibility, so there are some couples that choose never to get married in the eyes of the state right. and have a civil marriage, and that would allow some amount of blessing mm-hmm. on on those commitments as well.
2: And it's right. actually interesting. In our uh, tradition, we are prohibited from performing those weddings if the state allows them. In other words, if we were in a circumstance where same-sex marriage were illegal, then, yes, we could perform a religious only ceremony, but if a couple is legally eligible to be civilly married, we have been told that uh, we should absolutely not perform those weddings because uh, it could be it could open us up to charges of abating of abetting tax fraud. Uh, the couple, in other words, says that they do, says they're not legally married but they're religiously married, and therefore they treat the, they, you know, don't regard that as a religious, uh, as a civil obligation. And, and so we've been told not to do that. Hmm, and, uh, fascinating. Don't,
1: hmm. but
2: not to go down that. We have other yeah. questions <laughs> to uh, go through. <laughs> Speaking of which, I want to get to, if I could answer Pandora's question about favorite moments, because I want to make sure we get to that. Um, so in, in uh, Jewish weddings, um, my, my, so if Pastor Jacob's favorite moment is at the end. Mine's really sort of more at the beginning. Um, in Jewish weddings, the couple stands under a wedding canopy called in Hebrew, chuppah. And the wedding canopy is essentially four poles with a covering, um, often a, a prayer shawl, but it can be just any covering. Um, and we like to say what that means is that it's it's like the house that the couple's establishing. That is to say, it is covered to shelter them, and yet it's open to Bring in everything that life can bring, and under the chuppah traditionally stand the officiant, the rabbi, the couple, but also the parents, as well as the ma- major attendants, and the parents to show that this is that this is an inter- This is not just this couple; it is an intergenerational event, and the openness brings in the whole community. There are those who are watching those who are, you know, in the congregation, in the audience, whatever you want to call them, are part of the um, wedding too in that way. And so that's uh, what I love is standing up there under the chuppah with everyone and seeing everyone out there and se- sensing that we are here all together uh, and that this wedding is is an event both for the couple and for the community.
1: I like that. I, li- I like the idea that... Uh... It's open to the community, because the community is, as you said, in the the marriage versus the wedding, the community is the one that the ones that will live with that couple oh. as, um, as they go through life, so um, to be a part of that is powerful.
3: I think my favorite part is, and and I'm, I can't quote the words, but there is a sense of those who are already married, witnessing those vows, um, that it's a sense of renewal for them. And um, I've seen that be very powerful. You know, as I look out at the congregation, I see people looking at each other and kind of grasping that moment. It's pretty special.
0: Yeah, I've been to some uh, wedding uh, ceremonies where they actually... The, the officiant, uh, whether it's in a church or, or whatever, will also encourage married people to recite the lines back to their, their current spouse mm. as a way of kind of renewing.
3: Yeah.
0: Mm. Uh, I really have to talk my wife into doing that. <laughs> can be a challenge depending on how our ride to the <laughs> ceremony is
2: well when you're not napping anyway (laughs) renewing renewing (laughs) yeah if
0: you call me rabbi tom and don't answer just know i'm renewing gotcha at that point (laughs) well that's awesome uh pandora Mm -hmm. do you have anything you want to add i've added very little (laughs)
1: <laughs> I, I, I've, I've loved the discussion. I've learned a lot about weddings in the different faith traditions, the challenges that face us and the, the moments to celebrate and the power of words in, in each of the faiths that have been shared with us. I think it was a, a great discussion, and I, I like the fact that it, it gives us a very positive Um, platform as we head we're in the heading towards the end of summer we're at the first week in august but what we're looking at is september as, as we plan our work whether it be in a house of worship or whether it be in in someone's um other vocation uh but this is a nice positive way to it's very uplifting subject and it's just it's just such a nice way to kind of leap into that next next year? Does anybody else, is there anything that you wanted to say that you didn't have a chance to say that didn't present itself?
4: I mean, I kind of wanted to hear uh, Kathy do the uh, introduction to the wedding scene of The Princess Bride. <laughs> 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 because I'm pretty sure, given the context of that movie, that it was an Episcopalian or Anglican <laughs> priest uh, that was presiding at that.
3: I haven't
4: seen that movie.
1: Oh, you haven't seen oh, that movie. Oh, I, <laughs> I haven't
4: either. Oh, my oh, oh, you have. Oh, to you see have it. to see it, the movie. Yeah. Okay. okay, so I wrote it down because I thought someone would say it. So I can't do the squeaky voice, but it goes um, something like, "Marriage, marriage <laughs> is what brings us together today. <laughs> marriage, that blessed arrangement, that." Dream within a dream. Love, true love, will forever, you forever, so treasure your love today.
1: <laughs> That's
4: awesome. You needed to That's do that scary. one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Totally unexpected. <laughs> Never saw that coming. Okay. <laughs> yep.
3: <laughs> the problem I have is when I watch movies that have weddings, funerals, anything like that, I'm going, they're wearing the wrong color stole. What are they doing?
0: <laughs> this one's liturgically correct. <laughs> I did not expect The Princess Bride to <laughs> come up today, but I'm glad it did. It is an all-time classic movie. Uh,
1: I'm going to have to look it up. we got to yeah. go to the movies together. To yeah.
0: Despite... That, uh, that awesome rendition by Jacob, uh, we are going to turn to Rabbi Tom for s- a little more spiritual focus. I'm not sure we can get much deeper than we just got. Uh, I don't think we I think can. We can.
2: <laughs> I think we can. But <laughs> Well, the plan is for Rabbi I'll, Tom. All right, I'll give it a shot. So... There's a midrash, that is to say a story, and these stories are all true. Some of them even happened. <laughs> uh, this one almost certainly didn't. Uh, the story is that a Roman matron, a Roman uh, you know, the, uh, dignified married woman is uh, engaging uh, Rabbi Yossi ben Halafta and uh, you know, sort of pushing back a bit in the system as I understand it, your God spent six days creating the world. And Rabbi Yossi said, yes. And, Rabbi, and then the matron said, well, all right. So what's God been doing since then? <laughs> and uh, Rabbi Yossi says, well, oh, God's been arranging marriages. And the matron says, arranging marriages? <laughs> I could do that. He says, it's as hard as splitting the Red Sea. And she says, ugh. So she got all of her servants together, all her unmarried servants, and said, you marry this one, you marry that one, you marry that one. And the next day, you know, within a couple of days, these folks were, you know, at each other's throats. Everything was falling apart. Nothing was working. And she came to Rabbi Yossi. a said, da! And he said, see? Um, <laughs> and he said, when God arranges a marriage... God finds the person for each person. And there is a term for that in Hebrew, which is bashert. And so there's a tradition that says, you know, when you're getting married, it's your bashert. It's the person who was, which means the someone who is destined for you. Mm -hmm. And so my hope is that everyone can find their bashert, the person who's destined for them, either as a romantic partner, or perhaps their bashert is simply the person or, or group who will be with them and connect to them and be with them so that no one ever really needs to be alone, that there will always be someone for you. I hope everyone finds that and that we as a community make sure that nobody ever feels left alone. I
0: like that. That's great. That's great. Um, I can't add anything, Pandora
1: i can't either that was a (laughs) okay thanks
0: rabbi Tom. how to put a lid on that one i want to thank you all uh for joining us this month uh it's great to be back i think we had mentioned we're in person today we'll see what happens down the road uh but it's great seeing everyone and uh appreciate you joining us and thanks to keith Palmieri, who's sitting there nice and quiet (laughs) <laughs> not making fun of me, so. And or you have anything to add?
1: I would just say we thank uh, Reverend Kathy, Rabbi Tom, Pastor Jacob, and um, we thank you for coming. We thank you for sharing. We thank you for your leadership, not only in your congregations but in our community, because as someone who lives in Franklin, we benefit from all of this, not just maybe the house of worship we might attend. But because it is Franklin, and because of the culture that we have here, we benefit from all of this and these words, and the sharing, and the compassion, and the caring, and the leadership that that we have here. And I, I thank Jay. It is you always come. You have you guide us, and you uh, help us um, with the conversation. It's just it's great experience. Thank you.
0: Yeah, it's this has been. And continues to be and will continue to be a great thing to be involved with. Uh, and for especially Keith, who's known me for a few years, such a change of pace from covering high school and youth sports. I, I absolutely <laughs> love it. Uh, I get yelled at much less uh, here. Uh, but it, it the stuff and the information you folks bring, it... it I don't want to say I'm learning because mm-hmm. I've built this image for 60 years that I don't learn. <laughs> but I am hearing so much new information. It is tremendous. Yes. <laughs> yes. Right over the head. And and it's great it, to hear all three of you hearing different face, different approaches to everything. I, I For me, it's been tremendous. So. And Pandora, I've learned so much from you, mm-hmm. so thank you.
1: And our listening audience. And uh, I don't know if there's a way that they can reach out to us, but if there's a topic that you yeah. might like to hear our faith leaders discuss, um, if you could leave a message for us through Franklin TV and radio. We
0: do have a—Franklin we we, we, TV has a Facebook page. Oh. So you can also— uh, use the Messenger app, uh, and that may come to me. It may not. The uh, Franklin Interfaith
4: Council has a Facebook page as well that would be easy to access for topic information, and um, we'll try and make sure that this radio show gets posted there for folks. And, of course,
2: each of us uh, also on our own uh, uh, church or synagogue Uh, pages have contact information so that you can reach out to us individually See if you can stump
3: the clergy Yes (laughs) (laughs) So
1: there are a variety It would. There's a variety of ways to reach out and whichever one is the most comfortable and easy for you we would welcome your input So I thank you